We recently asked a couple hundred of you emerging biotech leaders about your go-to sources of information when you face tough professional challenges. Your top response wasn't webinars, it wasn't scientific journals, it wasn't trade shows, it wasn't even consultants. Far and away, you said you most often turn to your peers for trusted insight. Enabling a community of peers is what the Business of Biotech podcast is all about. It's also what our new Business of Biotech newsletter is all about. Peer-driven content, no strings attached, delivered to your inbox once a month. Go to bioprocessonline.com backslash B-O-B to subscribe. The Business of Biotech is produced by Bioprocess Online, part of the Life Science Connect community with support from Cytiva. Cytiva also demonstrates its commitment to the leaders of new and emerging biopharma at cytiva.com backslash emerging biotech. Check that out. According to Grandview Research, a microbiome therapeutics market worth about $95 million in 2022 is expected to grow at a CAGR of more than 38% between now and 2030. Markets and Markets says 36% growth by 2029. BCC Research says 59% by 2027. Pick a number. It doesn't matter. They're all huge projections. And in fact, quite surprising when you juxtapose those bullish forecasts to the number of microbiome therapeutic companies that have recently struggled or altogether shuttered. 4D Pharma, Evolo, Finch, and Kaleido come to mind. But it's not all bad news. Ceres therapy for C. diff was just approved after some failures along the way. Uh, but the earlier casualties have come at the hands of a combination of tough capital market conditions that couldn't keep up with cash burn and some rightful regulatory hurdles associated with the safety of donor microbia. I'm Matt Piller, and my guest on today's episode of The Business of Biotech is the founder and CEO of a microbiome company that's weathered the regulatory storm, having recently emerged from a clinical hold on its phase three program and graft versus host disease. Now, Hervé Affegard is looking to navigate the company to success with microbiota therapeutics aimed at the hemato and immuno-oncology spaces. And he's here to tell us all about it. Hervé, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Welcome for hosting me. Uh, I'm I'm thrilled to have you. And uh, I'm going to get to the market conditions soon enough. Like I want to get your reflections on that. Uh, and I want to talk about what you guys are doing differently in this space um, to, to, to ensure success, uh, especially as late stage as you are. Uh, but I want to get to know you first a little bit. Uh, your, your background is certainly compelling and, and interesting to me. You earned a master's degree in automation engineering and IT, uh, and you initially applied from what I understand uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you initially applied that education in the steel industry. Um, so tell me a little bit about that and why the wholesale change into the life sciences. Yeah, so it could be, uh, it could look uh, strange, but the other rational. In fact, I, I started working within uh, the IT consulting business, then I moved to the steel industry. And uh, when I was working on the steel industry, uh, I've deployed, I was in charge of some significant uh, business transformation involving uh, the implementation of ERPs, such as SAP, Oracle Applications, uh, eBusiness Suite, the way it is called today. Yeah. And in fact, uh, at that time, a US company, Bayrad, contacted me because they had a very significant failure with their distribution system. And their distribution system was based on one of the tools I was mastering, the IT tool I was mastering. 
So I jumped to Bayrad uh, in Paris. Uh, Bayrad is uh, headquartered in California. And I've started to work with them. Uh, first year, we did a very good job with the team. We succeeded in the stabilization of the system. And at that time, Bayrad started to do a lot of acquisitions in Europe, deals going from 50 million euros to uh, half a billion. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bayrad is a family-owned company. I've been involved with the MA team, mainly because I was good in terms of managing projects with my background. Uh, and I've started to do to review the uh, website, then to talk to discuss with uh, the business team in charge of the instruments that's a company uh, selling both instruments and reagents for lab testing. So I've tra- started to expand. Um, I had a recognition from the uh, the family of uh, Barat, and uh, that's how it has started for me to go on the business side. So in 2006, I started to go more in international business, the healthcare sector, and started uh, to become like um, an operation officer uh, instead of being a technical guy. So that's really how it started. Yeah, that's 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 pretty wild because you know I I used to cover for a long time I covered the IT space and ERPs were in my coverage area, and I know that when you're working in systems implementation uh, like ERP systems implementation, you get a pretty intimate look at a business, right? Like you get an intimate look at the at the comings and goings of of raw materials and um, and finished product in business. Was that um, was that exposure to uh, uh, you know the as I said the resource acquisition and allocation of of, uh, of 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 the life sciences business intriguing to you? Like was it that was the product and the sort of the substance of the of the business intriguing to you, or was it just the systems? No, no. Honestly, to be uh, to be very transparent with you, I was working in a small city in France where you have this steel industry, and my girlfriend at that time she was in paris working on the finance sector so there was no opportunity for her to go in the city where i was living mm-hmm. and for me it was how um, i've worked five years with this company so that was the good time for me to, to do something else so that's that's just the way it happened but then after the story is different when uh, you if you consider uh, my uh, entry into the healthcare sector in 2006, after that, uh, for me, it was obvious that uh, I needed to uh, uh, to continue to work on the healthcare sector because I've learned, I would say, at Bayard, what's the healthcare sector. Then I've participated to a LBO, Leverage Buyout, with a lab testing company. And after that, I've created Mad Pharma. But when I created Mad Pharma, that was a timing for me where I was really keen in... Uh, understanding the innovation and everything and i've been exposed to the microbiome and i was early on early on convinced that it was potentially something big in terms of changing the way we're going to be approaching unmet medical need but it's not the most important the most important for me uh, was that uh, i'm the son of two parents diagnosed with a cancer and when I've been exposed to the microbiome, I said, oh, my goodness, we have something we have not looked after uh, in, in terms of certain conditions, which is the case for GVHD. Because when I've created the company, there was no drug approved at all, at all in the world. So I said, that is what I want to do. And um, that's now nine years. I'm with uh, uh, Mad Pharma. I've never spent uh, so long in a company. But today, for me, it's obvious. So the beginning of my career, you know, you, it's like a little bit of a scale. You go one after one, 
And mm. now that I found uh, what I was looking for without knowing it, uh, I, I, I'm not willing to change anymore. Yeah, no, that, that's fantastic. Uh, what was I, I want to talk about? What was what was perhaps a difficult transition? You were a, a very very much a systems process process oriented guy, and and I can see where like that would uh, play well in, in a role like yours now. But there there would also also obviously be challenges, right? So what was challenging along the way in, in making that transition? So the, the the most challenging for me was to understand the uh, the biology and and the uh, science behind the microbiome. That was a very big challenge for me. I was lucky enough to be uh, well accompanied by the people I met, uh, researchers, doctors. They, they they trust me from the get go, uh, and they have spent time with me to 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 teach me uh, what I know today. I've also taken uh, courses uh, on the internet. For example, I've followed the uh, um, massive online courses from the University of Boulder, Colorado. So I, I, I've worked a lot to understand the science. And indeed, with the engineer mindset, I would say I've started to apply what I've learned as an engineer together with the new science I was acquiring. And uh, But that was, that was very difficult. For the first two to three years, that was very difficult because... Uh, the science today is pretty mature, but at that time, uh, it was it was really difficult, especially to find the right positioning for for the product. Because when I also started the company, Ceres, you men, you mentioned into the introduction, and also Abiotics, they were already on the field, so they mm. were they had already taken a position. So for me, it there was no option to do a, a me too company. That was really mm. to do something different. So we decided to position ourselves in the field of oncology, which makes sense for me because of my own family history. And uh, that was a big challenge because at that time, nobody nobody believed that by modifying the microbiome, you're going to do something on the patient side just by modifying the microbiome. Everybody was thinking it might work in Clostridium difficile, but it's a different story. So the, the second challenge in top of the science acquisition was really to convince people that we are not esoteric. We know what we do. Uh, and I've been working with uh, academic institutions uh, to generate evidence, evidences and everything. But this, this second element was a big, big challenge uh, as well uh, regarding the, I would say, the journey. I don't like coming into it from sort of a, a layman's perspective, if you will, uh, inspired to to develop therapeutics in, in oncology by your own family experience. Um, what did you know at the time and what like how, how did you become aware that there was possibly some link between the microbiome and uh, and cancer? I mean, in other words, like if you if you came in purely with the motivation like i i've i've got the time the resources and the you know willpower to create a pharmaceutical company that seeks to address uh oncology um you know you might start with uh i don't know a, a monoclonal antibody or, or a cell therapy for instance uh at, at that time you just said it like the the link between gut health and oncology had, had not there you know, it's still an exploration, right? It hadn't been clearly established. So yeah. why, why would you start there? I mean, I, I, I'll, I'll evidence what I'm saying, but intuition intuition was very important. 
Mm. And uh, I've give you uh, uh, support uh, to, to that intuition. When I started the company, in fact, my mother, she was not diagnosed with a cancer. She had GI issues. It was not a cancer. Immediately after I've created Mad Pharma, I collected the stools of my mother and I did the sequencing. And when I get the results from the sequencing, I said, oh my goodness, what's going on? And it was full of pro-inflammatory pro bacteria and everything. So uh, that was even before she got diagnosed with uh, the cancer. And at that time, it took six months to get the results of a sequencing. Today, it's two weeks just to give you the acceleration. Mm -hmm. But I was that convinced that I, I said, no, it's not a Crohn's disease, which was uh, the diagnosis. And uh, uh, I've taken the results of the, um, of the sequencing and I met with gastroenterologists and, uh, and everything, and nobody was able to explain to me. They were just saying, it's not a good microbiome, but I don't know what to tell. And like a year ago, there was a publication. So seven years after, uh, there was a publication in Germany showing that uh, the kind of microbiome that uh, my mother had is a signature of pancreatic cancer. And that was a pancreatic cancer. So that's, for me, uh, how you start from challenging the consensus. It's not yeah. what you think, Mr. Doctor. That's something else. Uh, I don't know what to do, but let's, let's explore. And from that, I uh, said, no, it's, it's, not, it's not what you are diagnosing diagnosticing, um, to my mother. And uh, I know it, but nobody was able to, uh, to put a name uh, on something, which I understand because the science was not there at that time. Right. So that's why it's a mix of providing evidences of something which is more on intuition than anything else. But that's how it started from here. How did you, you know, it, so it starts there and now you've got to rally some support. You've got to, you've yep. got to, you've got to get people interested. You've got to get scientists who can help you validate your assumptions interested. You've got to get investors interested to fund, uh, fund what you're doing. So walk us, walk us through a little bit of that. How'd you, how'd you rally that support? So the, um, you started the introduction by seeing that, uh, the microbiome field is a little bit, um, um, suffering. Uh, as we speak today, it's true, like for the entire biotech segment, uh, I think. If you look in the U.S. at the number of IPOs since the beginning of the year, of the year in the life science sector, that like, that's like peanuts. So the biotech sector in general is uh, suffering because the uh, investors, they are risk adverse, clearly. Mm -hmm. uh, the microbiome is not an exception. You mentioned a few companies uh, that failed and some others uh, which, which are in trouble. Uh, so having good investors uh, since uh, the get-go was important. Um, I've been lucky to, uh, in fact, when I started the venture, I was an entrepreneur in residence with uh, an investor. So he immediately uh, invested uh, 2 million euros, which might uh, look ridiculous in the US, but in France, it's, um, it's pretty decent. Um, and immediately after that, uh, they introduced me to other investors. And because we had a step-by-step -step, um, approach where we were generating data like every six months, uh, we have demonstrated that we are in a position to say something, to claim something, and then prove that we can deliver uh, as per uh, the, the promise. And we have gained 
slowly and slowly we have gained the trust in the field and we had uh, two other investors 18 months after at the end of the day before the IPO we had in total nine investors and all the investors they have always reinvested so the investor from 2014 has reinvested at up to the IPO and even after because we did another follow-up uh, early 23 and they have again all invested. So I think it is very important to show that you deliver. And that's where we have been able to aggregate some very good investors, knowledgeable on the field. Most of them, they are knowledgeable with either the innovation in general, or more precisely, the, the, the microbiome. So that was uh, one element. Regarding the second kind of stakeholders, uh, the doctors, uh, we have always involved them into the design of the trial. We have we, we we have talked a lot with them. We really value their inputs. We are not, you know, like like a very big uh, pharmaceutical company where you get the day, you get what you want from the doctors and then uh, you you do your own protocol. So we are really open innovation, connected, listening to people. And here again, uh, that has helped a lot because uh, the doctors of today, they are the prescribers of tomorrow. And uh, we have uh, worked very well uh, with them. We have good connection uh, with the uh, academic institutions uh, in Europe based on the fact that uh, we have uh, always co-constructed uh, the plan uh, with them. And I think that's uh, the uh, most important uh, elements. Mm -hmm. France is also in a little bit specific regarding the microbiome, I have to say. Among the six uh, most prolific um, publishers of patents, uh, three are uh, French academic institutions. The other, they are mainly uh, in the US and there's one in China, but we have a very good science regarding the microbiome. It's, uh, it's an historical business for us. Um, so also it has been it has been super helpful to be in a, in such as a, an ecosystem. Yeah, yeah, I, I, that's that's interesting. I, I'm I, I, it it brings to mind a conversation I, I recently had with uh, with a scientist who had a, an idea that was uh, not obvious, <laughs> and she she talked about how how difficult it was to get investors to buy into an an unobvious idea um, when sort of the mindset is to move with the prevailing wind. So in oncology, I'm wondering if you can share a little bit about how how you crafted and and communicated the story around um you know your 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 pitch for instance because in oncology as I said like the investor community is likely to buy I mean you look at the like just the proliferation of of ADC antibody drug conjugates companies in in oncology right now it's huge and growing because it's a it's a trend right the wind's blowing that way and investors are li likely to go there now a company comes out and they say well you know we think we can affect health outcomes in oncology through the gut uh you're bound to get some skepticism right um so and there, there's a bit more of a storytelling job to be done on on your part uh so, yeah. so share with us like what some insight into what that storytelling uh, entailed. So there's uh, the storytelling and I would say the positioning uh, as well. When we started in GVHD, there was no drug approved. Just to say a few words on, on the disease itself, 
uh, that's uh, a rejection of the stem cells uh, that have been uh, injected to a patient. And it's a pretty difficult uh, disease because, in fact, the immune cells uh, transfer to the patient. They are attacking uh, the tissues on the recipient uh, side. And that's purely an immunological uh, disease. Uh, and the immuno immuno immunological disease has been created by the stem cell transplantation itself. So it's not like natural. And it's a very, very difficult uh, condition. And mm -hmm. Showing from the get go, saying from the get go that you're going to be treating this disease by modulating the microbiome. Ninety percent of the of the people they will they will laugh. Uh, and what we did, in fact, is that we said we have good reasons to believe that it will be okay uh, because of uh, X Y Z. And immediately after we started, the, we we found based on that we found the enough money to start. But immediately after we started the clinical trial, also we managed to uh, launch an early access program, a compassionate use program. And here we started to receive requests because our explanation and education to the doctors worked pretty well. And the doctors, they have started to prescribe our product, even if it was still uh, in phase two. Uh, and we, we had initial success. And I would say we have been good in terms of the storytelling with investors, but the, I would say we have been also good in terms of telling, educating the doctors and then the doctors, uh, they did the job. They, they are talking between them. Uh, they said, you should try because here we are talking about patients with a survival at two months of 20%. So those doctors, they are ready to try anything. And uh, we have been always, I, I would say we have been always uh, trying to help uh, the patients and the doctors, and it has been uh, appreciated. And from that, we have also built uh, the story by saying, by, by explaining, which is uh, true, that we are really a patient-centric uh, company. And also, we have few investors that are either uh, family of patients or, or ex-patients as well. We, 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 we raised a pretty decent amount of money uh, after the IPO or at the IPO with uh, patients and their family too. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> how has investor appetite improved with clinical progress? Have you, have you seen, like, have you, have you seen people, you know, that, that clinical progress kind of proving its way out into uh, increased support for what you're doing? So the the investors, uh, they have more appetite as we are generating clinical data because we are less risky, uh, that yeah. is for sure. But uh, where I've seen the most uh, change, especially since we have entered the, the phase three, is with the interest from, from the pharmaceutical company. Mm -hmm. uh, before that, it was difficult uh, for the pharmaceutical company to buy a microbiome story that was difficult. Now that we are in phase three, and also now that we are expanding in solid tumors, which is a very trendy uh, uh, therapeutic area, we have a lot of discussions, but we have something that we had not before. We have an uh, incoming call. Before that, we were <laughs> like mm -hmm. running everywhere in the world with right. only limited success. Now it's like when we go to bio, for example, it's really way more comfortable as compared to what it was before. 
so that's where I've seen the most uh, change. And it's also a little bit of hope for the field because uh, what we really need now is a validation with pharmaceutical company that they are interested in, in the field. Uh, and I think it's even more important than investors. For emerging biotechs, scaling the process development and manufacturing of biologic molecules to clinical standards can be a challenging. However, you don't need to go it alone. Don't miss an episode of the Business of Biotech podcast, where we offer insights on regulatory, funding, and other essential topics. The pod is brought to you in collaboration with Cytiva, a global provider of technologies and services that advance and accelerate the development, manufacture, and delivery of therapeutics. Check out their resources at cytiva.com backslash emerging biotech. That's cytiva.com backslash emerging biotech. You know, there's a, a, a truth in, in, in biopharma around sort of the rising tide lifting all ships, right? Like when you see a, an approval in a specific indication or a specific modality, uh, other, other companies in that same space tend to feel a, a lift and, and it works the other way as well. Like when the market conditions are tough and you see companies that are, are working in your space uh, going going down downhill, um, you know, it tends to tends to drag uh, the entire space down. Um, wh- what are you seeing now in terms of uh, where the market goes from here? We've we've acknowledged the tough conditions. What are you seeing now is in terms of, of where the market goes from here and how your company is positioning itself to to you know, either take advantage of that or to differentiate itself from those companies that are kind of falling off? I would say today we are at a phase where we have the advent of the first wave of companies, which comes with an advent of uh, uh, a first kind of modality. And the more we will be progressing in terms of waves, a little bit like for the COVID, you know, we can have many waves, uh, the more refined and complex will be the product. So today we are still at the edge of the donor-derived product, uh, as the, as evidenced by the approval of Rebiota and Vost in the US. So we would be very happy to see a commercial success uh, in terms of uh, having the regulatory approval uh, so that we are still in wave one, but we see more and more new companies uh, emerging with uh, either direct or indir- 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 indirect uh, modalities that could be metabolites, isolated from the gut. It could be phages. It could be consortia. It could be it could be many things. So now we we see more and more. Um, I would say products that are different. So we really really start from the tools, and from that you can deri- derivate many products. And from from the first time also we see products. Uh, that are not donor-derived products showing clinical benefit. That's what we see when you are going at Congress. And that's very promising because that means, I mean, I'm, I'm not the kind of person who believe that one modality will check all the boxes. I mean, what we do for GBHD, for example, is very promising and everything, but I would... I would agree that sometimes it might not be sufficient. You might need our product together with an immunosuppressant, for example. So that's really the way I see it for the future. And the fact that we have many modalities, it's a very good sign. And as I said, we see data uh, with products that are not donor-derived. They are are different products. We see also others having good results in glioblastoma with molecules. They are more in the peptide kind of modality. 
and that's that's a big boom. And and I think, uh, of course, we will need to find all the financial resources to support that. But uh, I, I see the the field really expanding from those uh, initial success that uh, we have mentioned already with uh, the two approval in the US. Yeah. I want to I want to get my mind around your approach to clinical trials a little bit. Um, you know, you think about like uh, early microbiome therapeutic companies uh, focusing on C diff, which is which is a, a natural and kind of obvious uh, indication. And you said, "Hey, we can go out there and make a clinical trial happen." Um, it's pretty direct. It's a pretty direct route, right? Like we're going to find patients with C diff and we're going <laughs> to enroll them in our clinical trial. Not so direct with GVHD. I mean, it's a more it's a more complicated patient recruitment process. I would I would assume. So, tell me a little bit about that. How have you gone about um, navigating that patient recruitment aspect of your of your clinical trial in GV, GVHD? So, first, we need to open a lot of centers to have uh, only little uh, number of patients. It's clear. Uh, we, we when we will close the the, the clinical trials. One third of the clinical centers, they would, they will not have recruited uh, even one patient. So mm-hmm. indeed, you need to have an infrastructure which is large. Uh, so that means you need to rely on a very very robust uh, CRO and, and and everything, and you need you need to be close from 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 the uh, hospitals and and the investigators. We we are going on site every time there's a patient, they have questions. We work with them very closely because. It's a first in class. They never manipulated such as a, a product, and that's as I said, patient. They are all dying, or close, close. All of them are dying. That's only twenty-two percent survival at two months. So that sometimes they could be hesitating to provide these product made, made of microorganism to a patient which is immunocompromised, which is understandable. So we have a specific structure. Uh, every time we have a screening. We immediately call the center and everything. So that's for the GVHD program, uh, which is a niche market. And then after that, we have another positioning for the second product, which is uh, more adjuvant to the existing treatment. And here we are not that concerned with our recruitment. That's for all patients receiving stem cell transplantation. And here, especially in the uh, hematology oncology field, now the the potential of improving the outcome for the patient uh, is is well recognized uh, by the doctors. So here, because it's an adjuvant, uh, not directly treating the disease, I think it will be pretty. Uh, it it will be more easy to uh, to recruit a patient. Yeah. But the first trial in GVHD is indeed something where you need a. I mean, there's a French expression which says, if you want your co to get to give milk, you need to be close from your co. Uh, that's exactly what we do. Yeah, <laughs> I, I can see that. And I mean, you, you mentioned some of the stakeholders, obviously the patient, uh, the doctors, you, you've, you've you know, made it very clear that, uh, that the relationship with the doctors has been very important. What about uh, in in this case, cell therapy companies? Like, have you found value in collaboration, some form form of collaboration, with the cell therapy companies that are administering administering these hematopoietic stem cell transplants? Yeah. So, so today, to be very concrete, we see there's a few papers showing that uh, the fact that you have a dysbiosis. Uh, before stem cell, uh, before uh, cell uh, CAR T cell, for example, 
um, you have a, a, a lower uh, in, uh, outcome regarding the response to the CAR-T. So we see a lot of academic centers now doing observation. They collect stool samples from the patients and everything. And now we see that there's a link between the quality of the response you, you'll get and the, the microbiome, the composition of the microbiome at baseline. So today, that's exactly where we are. We are uh, exploring collaboration with academic centers uh, to uh, provide our products to, I would say, normalize the microbiome before the patient gets the CAR T cell. And that's another avenue where we think there's a potential. So it's a, it's a good point. And uh, we are a little bit like where we were with the uh, HSCT, the stem cell transplantation a few years ago, but it's also starting on the uh, CAR T cell uh, field. And when you see, I would say, the CAR T cell, when they work, they work, uh, but it's very, very, very expensive and it comes with a toxicity. So the fact that you could improve or guarantee the results of your uh, procedure is super important. So the, the potential here is also super, super important. And that's also the direction we are considering as we speak today. Yeah. Uh, I, I got to ask you about this. I, I mentioned in the, in the intro to the episode that you recently, I think in the springtime, emerged from a, an FDA clinical hold. Um, congratulations on that, by the way. Uh, completely, you know, one of those things that's not uh, not uncommon. Despite that hold, uh, the... The, the company's progress towards phase three trials, you know, is, I'm not saying it, it was lightning speed, but it was relatively quick. Like you've, you've made good progress uh, since, since founding the company. Um, so I, I guess a two-part question, one, to what do you attribute the the progress you've been able to make to get, been able to make to get to this, uh, the, this point in your clinical trial effort? And then two, uh, like how, what advice would you give to other biopharma leaders who have uh, a stumbling block along the way? Who get you know get hit with that pause get get hit with that pause button during during their clinicals? And yeah, I, uh, answering first the the second uh, point, uh, the issue that we were facing with the FDA is uh, related to the fact that we are pulling the material to get a standardization and everything, which has not been a problem in Europe. It has been a problem when we um, we wanted to go uh, in the US. And as a European company, uh, we were lucky enough to be able to continue the clinical trials in Europe. And we have accumulated data on, I don't know, 150 patients uh, as we speak today. Mm-hmm. And I think the FDA was uh, pleased to see that uh, we have human data uh, showing that uh, it's safe. So it has helped a lot in terms of the resolution. Of course, the FDA, they have requested other things in terms of the traceability and, and everything. But the most important is that we have been able to continue the clinical trial. So I would say the advice, if I'm legitimate to provide an advice, by the way, uh, yeah. is uh, first, don't give up. It's not because one agency is saying no, that the other one going to say no. And uh, a patient is a patient. So uh let's continue where you can continue because it's all about innovation i mean i'm not concerned about the fact that the fda put us on hold it's part of the process uh the fda has never never approved in the past a cool product so they need time they, they needed time for the evaluation on top mm-hmm. of that that was at the timing of the covid and everything so it's part of the process so you need to be able to multiply the opportunities uh, to to get patients 
if I would have been a U.S. company, I don't know if I would have survived. Because if you are based in Boston, you have to 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 validate your domestic market first, as we did in France. Uh, so I don't know if I would have survived you know, if I would have been in the U.S. So my my advice is really to multiply um, uh, the channels and. Uh, so here we can leverage on the complexity of Europe, where you need to deal with uh, 20, uh, 26 members. So it has a lot of drawback, but also here we have been able to continue the recruitment. So it's very important. It's innovation. That's what I learned from the IT field. Uh, you're going to fail sometimes. You're going to learn. You know, I mean, it's part of the process. So yeah. that's very important to be continue, able to continue your development. And why we have been uh, recruiting that much? I mean, for example, the, the reference in uh, hematology oncology is the ASH, American Society of Hematology, which is taking place once a year in the US. We have been presenting data. We are eight years old company. We have presented data six years in a row. And we had overall presentation for the last three uh, editions. And the microbiome, it's super trendy, even for the doctors. For the first presentation, it was only posters. We had a queue. We had a queue at uh, had the poster, which is not common. Yeah. And during the whole presentation, we fill uh, the room pretty easily. So the, the microbiome is really something that uh, the doctor they are interested with. So based on this educational uh, uh, exercise that we do, we did with uh, the doctors, it has been very prolific. Then, yeah, you um. It's- while we're on the regulatory topic, the, the company uh, obtained orphan drug status. So um, tell us a little bit about what the advantage there was and what advice you might have for other companies who are pursuing um, some, you know, so, some accelerated status with FDA and, and or EMA. Yeah. So ODD, especially in Europe, is very advantageous because you don't you do not pay for any, anything. For example, if you are ODD, you have an expansion of uh, your exclusivity right on the data, and also you don't pay anything in Europe when you do the filling. So it's super, super, super advantageous. So mm-hmm. the regulation in Europe is changing; and that will become become more and more difficult to get the ODD status. But it's for me, it's recommended to to go there. And then uh, with the FDA, you know, uh, it has been difficult to interact uh, with the FDA uh, in person for the reason we know, COVID and everything. And I do not think we are back on track uh, with having physical meeting, taking time to discuss uh, the topics and everything. So I think having ODD and especially fast track designation and everything, that puts you in the priority to have uh, really true meetings. Uh, I mean, not a written response only with the FDA, which sometimes could be could be challenging because it's difficult. You send a letter, you receive an answer. That sometimes could be difficult. So having that status is super important because once again, it's innovation first in class. You need to multiply the interaction with the FDA. And if you don't have that, it's more difficult. So having those fast track designation and ODD. Is very important. It's very important. Yeah, excellent. I, I never thought about uh, mult like a, a global approach to clinical trials with multiple agencies as being like strategic from a redundancy perspective. Before, like if things go a little bit haywire here, we've still we can still per- perhaps move forward in, in this program. You know, I was I always sort of thought of that strategy from a 
a patient recruitment perspective or, you know, a, a very, very specific patient population you're after kind of perspective. But it, it never really occurred to me that there's uh, there's safe, there's like risk avoidance and in, in the redundancy of, of clinical trials in multiple regulatory yeah. jurisdictions. I'm not from the field. So that's maybe why I've thought in a different manner. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe I'm just naive and I don't realize that that's like, you know, very important, important thinking on everyone's part, but. I mean, all of us, US, Europe, everywhere, all of us, we want to bring innovations to, uh, to patients and uh, we might have different concerns. And if you can uh, validate some milestones with a different agencies, I know another microbiome company, for example, has been stuck in France for certain reasons. I know they have started in Belgium. They have provided provided human data, not non-clinical data. And from that, the French agency, they say, that's okay. You check the box. Yep. Yeah. That's, that's fascinating. Um, so beyond oncology, uh, you guys are working on uh, investing in microbiome therapeutics and CNS diseases like ALS. Uh, so tell us a little bit about what's different between that approach and the approach you're taking in cancer. So what's come, what I would say the scientific rationale is that with, within oncology, we are targeting to restore two things, the uh, barrier function to avoid translocation of bad bugs and everything, plus the restoration of the uh, immune homeostasis. In uh neurological and psychiatric disease. Here, it's a different story. That's the link between the gut and, and the brain, mainly. Mm-hmm. And um, that's about the neuroinflammation because most of the immune cells, 80% of the immune cells, uh, they reside within the gut. So there's also a link between the neuroinflammation and the status of your gut. So that's the scientific rationale. But we have among the... Um, neurological disorder, psychiatric disorder. We have not chosen Alzheimer, Parkinson. We have chosen exactly what we did for the GVHD. We have chosen a disease where the patients are dying. ALS, you have diagnosis from the time to death to diagnosis. It's three years maximum. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's also where we have seen the most potential uh, in terms of benefiting for the patients. So it's not a scientific reason, but in terms of the positioning, that was very important too. And here again, we work a lot with the patients. We have a patient patient association we have a collaboration with. A A patient association is within the DSMB, Data Safety Monitoring Board, we have designed the clinical trial with the patients because, you know, uh, they have issues with the motility and everything. So we are doing a little bit like we did for the GBHD. Uh, part of what we do is instructed by, by the pa- pa- patient uh, themselves. And you get that when you have uh, patients with very high unmet medical need. And that's what is in common with um, the strategic positioning in oncology and especially in GBHD. So two elements, the science, where there's good rational, we see uh, dysbiosis on patients with uh, ALS, but also the positioning is com- is driven by the uh, intensity of the uh, medical need. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you for that update. Um, and, and thanks for the update on the clinical progress. You you told me, uh, I know we're running short on time here. You, you told me earlier in the conversation that uh, this is the longest uh, position that you've held consistently over the course of your career. Nine years, did you say? Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, and, and I've heard, I've heard from multiple uh, founders and CEOs and biopharma who've told me like, it's every day I wake up, I feel like I'm working in a new job because there's a new challenge to face every day. So, you know, it doesn't really get old. Um, but what do you see coming down the pike for you? Like what, what's next? I, I want to get a perspective on what's next for you. And also what's next for Matt Pharma, like where you're, where the, where the company's going from here and, and where, where you see yourself going from here. Yeah, for, for Matt Pharma first, uh, I've uh, sequenced the, the different phases of uh, the company um, because at, at each time you go from phase uh, A to B, uh, you have to change uh, the resources, uh, the, the 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 skills you need, and and everything. So today we are at phase four, which mm-hmm. is a pre-commercialization. So for me, it will be super exciting to see with Matt Pharma two things. Uh, the commercialization of the first product, Mat13, that would be for me something, you know, I want to put in my sh- uh, cheminée at home. Um, and the second element, we have not discussed that much uh, today about that, but we have also designed a new technology, which would be a donor independent, uh, co-cultivating, very complex uh, technology that we have uh, developed. Uh, I'd like to see uh, the proof of concept, meaning a phase two on that, uh, on that uh, technology, because I'm a co inventor of this uh, technology too. So that would be my achievement at Mad Pharma. Once that is done for me, um, uh, I'd like to mix a little bit more what I've learned in the past with the uh, IT uh, things and uh, especially artificial intelligence and everything. I think there's something to do which is uh, at the cross between the artificial intelligence and microbiome. I believe there's many things to do on that field. So that may be for me um, of interest. Yeah. That new technology, real quick on that, the new technology that you referenced, um, is that sort of a a platform technology or is that a technology that you anticipate will develop or or result in uh, new and different candidates for Matt Pharma? It's a platform that will generate new candidates and uh, what's uh, disruptive and unique regarding the technology is in fact that we have identified, for example, uh, to start with the application, it will be more easy to explain. We said this patient to respond to immunotherapy, he needs this kind of phenotype with a microbiome. So we have developed a technology where we can assemble uh, ecosystems together and we can grow them together. So what knows to do the industry is to grow one bacteria and then you do an assembly. But us, what we believe is, is that the ecosystem is very important. And the ecosystem, the normal microbiome is roughly 250 species. You have 250 species. I have 250 species, hopefully. And what you, we are doing with this technology is we are growing the bacteria together. And that's where is the technical challenge because one bacteria could take 20 minutes to reproduce or they can take longer. So if you don't control the process, at the end of the day, you have one bug because it will take over the, the control on everything. And we have managed to define a process where you can uh, grow the bacteria together by keeping the similarity, which provides you an opportunity to have like no limit in terms of the scalability. Because if you do an assembly of different bugs, you need hundreds of bioreactors. Here, it's a, it's a production where you have one system and you can produce uh, unlimited uh, amount of material. Wow. All right. So that's part two. We're, we're, we're out of time. But part two, when I have you back on the show, Hervé, 
part two will be on uh, building a, a complete microbiome ecosystem. And then part three will uh, part three will be on Hervé's new uh, adventures with artificial intelligence and, and the microbiome technology. How, how about that? Let's hope you are true. Yeah, let's, let's, <laughs> it's a good conclusion. We'll go with that. Uh, I'm going to let you off the hook for today, but I really appreciate you coming on. It's been a fascinating conversation, and I I, I thank you for the glimpse into what's going on at, at Matt Pharma. Thank you very much, Matt, and uh, talk to you soon. Sounds good. Bye. So that's Matt Pharma, founder and CEO, Hervé Affegard. I'm Matt Piller, and this is the Business of Biotech. We're produced by Bioprocess Online with the support of Cytiva, which demonstrates its commitment to new and emerging biopharma companies at Cytiva.com backslash emerging biotech. If you like listening in on conversations with biopharma leaders like Hervé, subscribe to the Business of Biotech podcast and sign up for our, my newsletter at bioprocessonline.com backslash B-O-B. Also, be sure to leave us a review. Let us know how we're doing. And as always, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.